Today we're going to talk about stories and myths and narratives in open source and how they build um, the history and community of a project. And I remember uh, when I first met you, Henry, you were talking about Babel, and um, I think it was because I was asking you for an interview for GitHub, and I asked you something about like what's something funny or memorable that happened in open source, and you like gave this story that. Uh, it's definitely more interesting than anyone. <laughs> Any other story I got about the whole like Guy Fieri thing and sort of like a you know pull request that went in and uh, that was started as a joke and became a real thing. And then like I don't know, there was like a sweater involved or something. It was just like a very elaborate story. Um, but I remember thinking when I heard that story that like like wow, Babel is like a really interesting project or a really interesting community and um yeah just like the role of like stories as a way of um socializing people into what a culture is like very quickly hmm, that's really interesting because I, I guess coming into it if you you might have thought it's like oh there's a really technical project and it's like a compiler but then if you hear stories about like you know something as random as guy fury then it kind of uh like what you said it's like gives you context on what the community is about or the maintainers. And then and in that sense, maybe it's like a sense of like having fun instead of just, you know, doing work. That was definitely my takeaway. And then I kind of like, after hearing that story, went back and looked at sort of like the logo and the branding a little bit. I was like, oh, this is like a fun project. Um, and I remember digging out around on like, I think one of the PRs related to that whole Guy Fieri thing. And someone had commented being like, these people are so unprofessional. <laughs> Uh, which is funny because like, I didn't, you know, have that takeaway at all. And I don't think a lot of other people did, but, um, it sort of suggested me like people have different ways that they want to experience open source. And for some people it's like, yeah, they want to feel like it's, I don't know, it's like very professional thing. Um, I've definitely talked to maintainers of projects where they think professionalism really matters. Um, not to say that Babel isn't a professional project, but like, I guess for some people having fun on a project or doing something kind of like jokey would be, um, considered not professional so it's just kind of interesting to see like i think that plays a big role into which projects people end up spending time on um in terms of getting involved with the community right that's that's true thanks <laughs> i guess i would hope that we are still professional but i i think uh like what you said it's like i would hope that you know we would like to be a you know welcoming community as well so especially given the fact that the type of project that it is um, it kind of might scare away people. So I think having that is helpful. And maybe like also that kind of goes into like sharing more about yourself personally as a maintainer and then hoping that kind of, you know, expressing your feelings or whatever, it, you know, showing vulnerability in that way to show that, you know, you're approachable and um, you don't have to be some kind of like genius or something like that. Uh, I think that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. It's definitely my takeaway. And just even more broadly in open source, because I'm not involved in a specific project, um, I just I feel like I've, for me, like a distinct positive association with spending time around open source developers is when I, you know, if I'm at like a conference or I'm talking to a maintainer and they're like really excited to share stories about like their culture or their community, because um, it feels like you're sort of like being let in on this thing. And I think in particular for someone like me that you know, isn't actually involved with the community. It's sort of this like, I don't know, it's like almost some version of like small talk or something, but you're, you're kind of like socializing people into 
making them feel really welcome and feel like they're they're like in on something or they're part of something. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, like getting that sort of like cultural lore or background on people that are involved in the project or just like odd jokes or, um, yeah, I don't know, like symbols, logos, things like that that people use in projects um, is a really easy way to make someone feel like they're part of it very quickly. Yeah, I, I think I find I find that like it's almost maybe easier or better to do that than necessarily convince someone to like get involved because of the technical aspects or things like that. Like there are lots of projects you can get involved in that have high impact or are related to what you do, but that doesn't necessarily mean that um, you want to be a part of it. And I guess one way to differentiate is through those kinds of things. I wonder if that's one reason why. Like, I feel like open source projects that, you know, as they get more popular, like a lot of them really invest in branding and naming, um, not in like a, I don't know, not in like a fancy professional hire a firm kind of way, but just like, I feel like naming really matters. Um, and it, it gives people something sort of like distinct to associate that project with. Um, and if you just sort of like look at readmes and websites of open source projects, it's clear like people like having like mascots and like little jokes and stuff. Um, and I wonder if that just kind of goes hand in hand with the feeling of wanting to, like, because open source is so community driven, like you want to foster that feeling of a community or just like making your project feel distinct in some sort of like intangible way as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think uh, especially in the JS community, there's like this whole joke where like your project's not real until you have like a logo. Um, and it, it is true. I think it. It, they're all just random little things that seem like they don't matter, but um, you know, coming up with a name is important, and like quote unquote branding and like what your website looks like. It, it's kind of like when you go to the README, and then you can tell when a project is kind of the old school version versus like they have all this stuff, you know, like videos and you know, like logos and all this stuff because um, they're trying to like get new people. Uh, that might have not really got involved before to like look at it. Um, and and I, I mean, I don't think it's like a bait and switch or anything. It's just a certain presentation that maybe, uh, you know, just like with companies, uh, I think in the same way. I don't like starting a cult. More religious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Just the idea of like, um, I don't know. I think sometimes people have like a very literal uh, approach to religion where I don't know like especially there are a lot of traditions and religions that sometimes don't really make sense today and um, I think there's a temptation for people who aren't involved to kind of look at it and be like oh well you know the only reason we don't eat shellfish is because whatever Um, and to sort of come up with a sort of like literal um, historic reason why this tradition is sort of outdated. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that sort of discounts the value of symbolism and of like, like I think a lot of religions are very strengthened because you're, you're doing this thing and like, yeah, maybe it's not because you have to do it in modern times today, but it, because it connects you to sort of like a longer past. And I think that's true for any sort of like community where you want people to feel like part of something really quickly. If you're doing the ritual, then you kind of just feel like you're part of something that's bigger than yourself. Right. I guess for a lot of traditions and rituals, there's a certain context that um, I think needs to be understood, especially even if 
like it makes like quote unquote sense to do it in our current I guess time or it doesn't like knowing why they did it before instead of just simply just saying like oh that doesn't make sense to me now I mean you kind of that you're kind of just looking you know from the outside and not really understanding at all what's going on um I think for a lot of uh traditions and rituals most of those are ways to kind of it's like living out what you believe um and so or like a reminder of what what you know or what you've read or something like that so an example would be like um in christianity we have communion um or they also call it the lord's supper where you know people in different ways they 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 take some kind of like they eat the bread and they drink like um, some wine or I guess you can substitute that for grape juice or something. And it's like, that seems like it's such a weird thing to do. But um, in, in the new Testament, Jesus asks everyone to do that. And so they don't just do it just because he said it, but like, it's a reminder of what he did. Um, and then it also points back to um, just uh, like, I guess, um, yeah, that you know, if we maybe certain churches do it like every week or they do it every month, but um, instead of just telling yourself like, oh, I already know that this happened, um, you know, we are creatures of habit and we forget things and we spend most of our times at work um, or doing other things, and if we are people that care about uh, what we believe and our faith is important to our lives, then it should basically be a daily thing or it's a thing that you have to remind yourself and i think doing something physical um is uh is important uh, instead of just everything like kind of being like in your head and also important is that it's done in community and so you know that way it's uh you're, you're doing it as part of a group and you're you know like you said it's uh something that binds people together um and especially if you're not like feeling up to it. I think there's a lot of emphasis now on like having to feel like, you know, the right way or feeling good. Um, but it's kind of in a sense, the opposite where sometimes the act of doing it can make you feel the way you should versus trying to feel your way through doing things. I want to separate out two things you said. <clears throat> um, one is sort of like doing symbolism as a way of, keeping yourself in a daily habit or, or reminding yourself of what the value, I guess, of what you're doing. And the other is doing it because it sort of like connects you to a community and makes you feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself. And I wonder if those two things are sort of just like interrelated of like, why do we do, why does symbolism help us stay in the habit of something? And it's, I think because it connects you back to a longer tradition. It's almost like you're forgetting yourself um, by reminding yourself that there's something bigger than yourself, if that makes sense. I guess I was trying to say, is it about like bringing yourself back to the, back to the place that you are, or is it about, um, I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but there's some aspect of like, it sort of like clears away, I guess the, like whatever you might be fretting about. And so you're, on like a very individual level, I feel like symbolism and tradition can kind of help you just feel like a smaller part of something big. And 
by kind of losing yourself in that community, then um, it kind of brings you back to where you should be. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. Um, I think a lot of like being in a faith community is about being a part of community, especially in our current, I guess, age where it's there's a lot of focus on individualism, um, and there's a and you know everything that we do in our lives is like kind of making us forced to think about ourselves more, you know, whether it's our phones or, you know, all those things remind us of what we need to do and what, what's going to happen to us. Uh, I think getting reminded of uh, being in a group um, and then especially specifically what those things represent um, that it's not about ourselves. And in, in the case of, you know, faith, it's, it's about God. Um, and that's to remind ourselves, it's you know, like, why are we worrying about ourselves when, you know, you could say that God is, um, uh, is uh, looking over us or something like that. Um, and it's like, we shouldn't have that anxious feeling. And, and it's like, you can tell yourself that all day, but you can't think your way out of it really. And so maybe the act of doing that thing, is there something maybe you could say special um, about that, that does change how you think? Yeah, there's like something sort of like willfully illogical <laughs> about it. But I think it's kind of a nice thing because even though it's not something that we can really like reason our way into, it seems to be something that a lot of people connect to. Um, I mean, like even outside of religion, like the experience of like going to a wedding or something where like, yeah, I'm I'm not a super like tradition loving kind of person. But if I go to like a friend's wedding, like you just sort of feel something that's um yeah something very visceral and it's not really about like them but it's about like like the tradition that what they're doing is rooted in or that ritual yeah i I remember um i don't know i guess like most people i think especially now we tend to dislike tradition and kind of question the idea of most of them at all and i'm kind of finding myself appreciating certain things a lot more just um yeah like what you said there's there is something mysterious almost i don't know maybe supernatural about some of those kinds of aspects and i think um uh and i think it's 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 almost a sense of humility too where you know i i feel like i part of me just wants to just believe that my mind is gonna be able to like is capable of like you know dealing with all these things but um you know i need to rely on others and and a lot of faith is about surrendering um like giving up your will for um others or or god's will um and knowing that you know you can't solve it all so i guess that's what faith is right so what about like symbols that are people in a community like leaders or figureheads or like bdfls um I feel like it's like a slightly different relationship because it's like a real person, right? <laughs> it's not like a logo or yeah, an interesting name or story or something like that, but it's like an actual person that's involved. And um, I think people still look to leaders to provide that sort of like symbolism and, and meaning. Um, I continue to just be sort of amused that there is even a concept of a BDFL. Like whenever I have to explain that to someone outside of open source, they're like, I don't understand. They're called dictators, but they're benevolent. <laughs> they really I know. Concept. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I think it becomes harder. Like I was trying to think when we were talking about this earlier of like what happens when symbols need to evolve or change. Um, but I feel like I can't think of that many conflicts, at least not off the top of my head around, you know, like our logo is a gopher and it should really be like a rabbit or something. Like that's not really a conflict, but there are conflicts around, I think, leaders as symbols when like a leader represents something that you want the product to be or that you yeah are looking up to. And if that leader starts to not represent the project in a way that you want to, then it becomes a sort of question of, yeah, like how, to what extent does this person continue to embody like the myth of our community or our project or whatever? Yeah, that's really hard. And I don't think that's obviously not any different from uh, not like other industries or projects. Um, like I think you could think about like authors that people really respected, but then they're like, oh, they had certain views that we don't agree. And then they like, change like maybe there was an award for that person and they used that person's name and they decided to rename it um it's like is that is that worth changing or is that um or is that okay and all that um, it feels slightly different in well maybe it's not i feel like it should be slightly different in open source because it's this like it's supposed to be like this decentralized self-organizing community kind of thing um where like there is such um beyond any one specific project it's like there's this broader ethos in open source that like there shouldn't be leaders or something like that um or like this is supposed to be this totally participatory thing um but at the same time like it's obvious that people coalesce around leaders whether we like it or not so maybe it's just not actually that different but um but it does seem just like I don't know. If someone like founded a company and they're the CEO, it's like most people don't come in. Most companies are not organized in like a non-hierarchical way. Um, as I'm saying that, I'm realizing every company I work for is non-hierarchical. But like most companies don't have, yeah, they, they accept that hierarchy. But I think like in open source, it can be um, harder because people don't necessarily want to feel like they're being told what to do. Right, and then even from the maintainer point of view, like I don't. Well, that's not everyone, but I don't necessarily want to be the BDFL. And there's always like, because it's not really a company and it, it should, it would hopefully grow beyond, you know, what you've created or maintained, then you can walk away and other people can take over kind of thing, right? It's like the project stays alive, but, you know, people can come and go kind of thing. I think that's what you're trying to get at with decentralized, right? Yeah, it's like this very interesting test of if a leader does step down, does the project live on um because we saw this with guido and stepping down from python recently um and i don't know enough about that situation to have deep thoughts on like how that's going to survive or not but when i heard about that it made me think about um django where jacob and um, adrian had stepped down yeah and they had stepped down because they were sort of like at least the way it was publicly phrased i think was um like you, you guys don't really need a BDFL anymore. Like there's a very, very strong Django community and we don't want to be that center point anymore. Like this community has grown so much that we don't really need to be the person making decisions anymore. Right. Which I think, yeah, it's like a nice evolution. Um, or I think other projects may inspire to, but not, not every project is going to be able to be as big as it, like a Django. Right. I, I think that's really interesting that, to read about. Like, I don't know that much about, um, the context behind it either, but I, from what I hear of these kinds of things, it, 
it always feels like the the people that step down they they usually say something like i haven't been involved for like a year um and so you've already like basically been able to work without me um it's just that i'm officially saying that i'm not working on it um which is really interesting like it takes a long time for someone to feel like they can actually leave um even if they haven't been working on it. so there's like that almost like just um like they feel like they have to stay on even though they're not actively involved and i think that's part of the anxiety of just doing open source you have that sense of ownership that turns into burden um that you can't really step away and that that's like a long like a uh um, a higher scope thing versus like even for me like i took a you know one week vacation and before i was like you know i don't should i even do that or is that okay you know stuff like that mm-hmm. it reminds me of brett cannon who's a python he took like a month long vacation and, and wrote about it um and i think felt yeah this is the most sort of like is it okay to even be able to take vacation from open source and then it's like well why shouldn't it be because yeah, you can take vacation from work, but you can't take a vacation from something that isn't even. Yeah, it's just it's a, it's a strange thing. Yeah, it's uh, like at work, you wouldn't <laughs> you wouldn't question it at all. You just do it because that's normal, and you're always fighting this like messed up expectation that you have that I guess we've all really created. Like that's our culture, um, and it's kind of up to us to take the action to 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 actually you know take breaks and maybe even announce it just so like everyone knows that that's a thing. And then just to tell yourself and other maintainers, like that's normal and you should do it. And then we won't have this problem. I wonder if there is like an optimal time for a maintainer to step down or not just in, in terms of like the trajectory of the, the life of the project. Cause I feel like on the one extreme, there are maintainers who have just straight up like ghosted a project and that's problematic mostly because if they're the only people with like commit access, then, um, or they own the project or something like that. Like there's just like permissions issues. Um, so it seems problematic for a maintainer just like straight up disappear. Um, and then on the other hand, you have maintainers who just like won't let go and won't step down, even though maybe the project would benefit from them not having as strong of a presence. But then there's like this whole gray middle area where I think like there are maintainers who would like to step down, but worry that um, if they do, like who's going to take up the, the project. I remember Michael writing something, Michael Rogers writing something about this a few years ago um, when Nolan Lawson wrote that post about like, what if mm. open source retainer? I think, I think it was Michael who like wrote a response to that being like, you just got to step down if, you, if you're feeling it. Um, yeah. I think I read that. He said that. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, you just need to trust that like someone is going to take up the mantle. Uh, but yeah, that's a very scary thing where it's like, it seems like a really nice sweet spot is that, time we were sort of talking about of like where you're sort of like de facto haven't even been involved for a while so it's easy to just kind of be like i haven't even been doing anything like i've kind of been silently fading into the background you're going to be fine without me but yeah i think but i feel like for that it's like for a lot of people at that point they just they're at the point where they don't want to be involved and so they're at their limit where they just can't help not working on it and then slowly they're like okay i should just leave this is not a great yeah, it looks good on paper in terms of how you're announcing it, but probably I guess the the feelings leading up to that are just sort of like burnout, right? Which is not a, yes. a great way. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's like existential dread on all that when like that's for them, and then no one knows about that, and they don't 
like just regular people that are using it, they have no idea. So like they, they're just like, oh, okay, they stepped down. <laughs> I wonder about like um, this is a bigger thing about the difference too between authors and maintainers and an author because I mean we're kind of originally talking about like narratives and this and symbols and things like that and like authors that are service or like the symbol of the project or most closely associated with the projects, um, even if they're not super involved anymore uh, and other people are maintaining it and like, yeah, I don't know. Like, is it useful to have the author as a symbol? <laughs> um, yeah. It's like a very well-known um, author or does it end up becoming detrimental when like right. they're not involved in the project anymore? I, uh, I guess I've had experience with that because uh, Sebastian was the creator of Babel and then he stepped down but then I think people pinged him like you know for like you know maybe even years later because they thought that he was still working on it and there's probably still people that think he still works on it um and it's just funny like when you're the creator and you step down you're probably going to get people to ask you about things for a really long time uh, and I guess that could be annoying or then you have to tell people and then that transition is really hard um, and I guess in some sense, it seems nice to have like a point person for people to talk to, but then that's also like a point of failure where if they're not there, then no one's going to respond and they're probably going to get overwhelmed. And that's, to me, it just feels like, uh, the most important thing you can do as a maintainer is make sure that you always have more people. Um, you're all, I don't think there is an optimal time to leave because there's always a feeling of you could be doing more. There's a fire here. You know, like I, I even took the break like right after we released uh, Battle 7 and maybe that could have been the worst time to leave, but I did it anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, you just can't, I guess, yeah, you just can't rely on one person and I don't think you would want to, so. It seems like there's like a couple of different roles that a author is fulfilling though too. Like an author being considered a maintainer is, seems like problematic. Um, because if they're not involved in the project, they don't want people paying them all the time. And, uh, and it's just confusing for people. But I'm also wondering about like an author as, uh, and their influence on, I guess, the culture of the project. Like, do you feel like, um, I don't know, both technical design, cultural decisions that Sebastian made early on, do they continue to live on even though Sebastian isn't literally involved in the project anymore? Yeah, I think that, well, maybe it's different for projects or people, but I we I think I definitely, um, uh, I think you definitely learn from whoever started it. Like, it, it's really hard to actually change things unless you rewrite the whole thing. And it's unlikely that you would be willing to do that, especially if you weren't the creator, because you might even feel like it's out of your place to do that. Uh, I know I felt like that even in terms of like, making a breaking change or making a major version because I thought I even thought that he was going to come back. So there's that. And then it takes, you know, maybe a year or so. And you're like, Oh, okay. I guess we're the only ones working on this now. If we should probably figure out how to make this better versus just fixing issues. Um, and I don't think it's just technical. It, it's definitely cultural too. Um, you know, the things that you start off with, you kind of, just I guess evolve or enhance. Um, I, I think it's really hard to just suddenly change a, a shift in like community or culture. Um, I know even like I even noticed that habits that he had, I would kind of pick up on like 
um, the way he maintained things was like, say, um, someone made an issue and he would like make a commit to fix it without a PR and just like immediately close it within like five minutes. Um, and so I think when you are, especially if you're new to a project, you kind of just, you pick up on things. It wasn't like written anywhere that you, you have to do this. It's just, I noticed like, Oh, he was really responsive. I guess I should be responsive because I don't know how to do it either. And then I guess it leads to a lot of people doing that um, until you look back and you're like, okay, was that, is that a good idea? Is that healthy? Um, should we change it? And then maybe hopefully we actually write it down. Otherwise people are just learning, picking up things without us actually explicitly saying that's a good idea or, what we recommend. Yeah. Um, there must just be like a lot of points where people are like, well, why do you do this thing? It's like, well, I guess because, you know, I was told to, or the original like doing it this way or something like that. And then like, how does the community decide which of those decisions make sense to continue doing and that they're going to sort of like incorporate into their culture and their history and, even if it doesn't make sense, just to be like, well, that's the way you wanted it. Um, versus saying, well, maybe this rule doesn't actually make sense anymore and, and we should move on. I feel like that's where it comes up against this tension of like tradition um, or history or socialism or whatever, where like, yeah, how do you know which traditions are worth changing and how do you know when they're not? And yeah, I, mean, I guess it just has to reflect whatever people like. I hate to say it, just some sort of like majority consensus or something like that. If that's the general sentiment, then it changes. Mm. I don't know. Right. I think for, I guess for both, not even for faith and open source, like it's, there is the majority thing that that's probably just what's going to happen, but um, maybe that's why it's important to almost have, it's weird to use the word historian, but like, like to write down what those processes are. Um, Cause there's so many things that are in your head as a maintainer that you just do. And then you feel like you're too busy doing all this other stuff, but no one else is going to write it down because they don't know what it is. Um, and so I think writing down like what those processes are, maybe with a date and then explaining why we did this thing would be good because then if you give the reasons, then people can be able to actually like, I guess, uh, argue forward against versus just saying like, oh, this was tradition. I don't want to do it anymore because then maybe there was a good reason for it. Um, and maybe there wasn't. So I was just thinking about um, in Ruby there's like this acronym. I'm gonna screw it up. Uh, Matt's is nice, so we are nice. Not mm. like that. Yeah, yeah. Really, like an encoding of a uh, culture that came from an author, or, or was kind of like handed down from someone else. That they like turned into an acronym of like we're nice people because like this person was a nice person. Um, which is like I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking about like cultural things that are encoded from maintainers. And then I guess conversely, there are other, other projects that shall not be named that kind of take an opposite approach of we're, we're abrasive because our original. (laughs) And that's what, yeah. I think that kind of shows the um, influence of the original person and also just like having like slogans and logos and things like that. Like those things are, you know, like they could be catchy or, things that people will remember and i think of even just words that we use like i was i think we talked about this before like you know we have different acronyms like yolo and fomo and all those things and it it becomes not just a word we use but it literally changes like how we think um Mm -hmm. and i think it's important to like 
the habits and the traditions are really good to reinforce maybe the values that uh, wanted to be, um, I guess, encouraged. But then I guess it gets to a point where like the people doing them don't even know why that existed in the first place. So I think even with faith, like uh, when tradition just becomes a habit that you kind of just do just because, um, then that's when it becomes, it might, it might even become useless or detrimental because people don't know why they're doing them. Um, it's just for the sake of doing it. And so understanding why is um, apparently just as important as doing it, but you need both, I think. Yeah, there's like some concept in there that's interesting, like the idea that even though tradition is maybe old or it started from some time that might feel totally foreign to where you are today, um, tradition is also like participatory. Like you have to you have to connect to it or else it doesn't really work. Like it's more that you're joining a long line of people that are doing this thing versus like you're not just aping whatever someone did 300 years ago or thousands of years ago or whatever. Um, but you have to actually feel like you are like carrying something on um, and to feel like, I guess, like ownership in whatever that thing is. Otherwise it just is meaningless. Yeah. And I think because it's usually like uh, a bodily act, it's, it's almost important to actually do it versus because it's easy to just be like, Oh, I don't think that's good, but, or, or it makes sense at all. But like, I think going through the motions can also be useful just so you actually feel it. And I think um, there's, there's no substitute for actually doing it right. Um, You can, you can't think your way to knowing what, you know, feeling X, Y, Z, like feeling love or feeling whatever is um, if you've never actually done it. Mm -hmm. It's true for a lot of just even just a lot of like axioms or, wisdom or whatever that gets passed down if you don't actually understand it if you can't if you're not actually like living and embodying it then it's it's just words yeah i think that's um what i would say with people like that um i would want to invite to church it's like going actually going there actually is different because you can like picture in your mind like oh and you can list out the you know like i guess quote unquote tasks or activities that things are, but like being in, in a part of it is is a different, I guess you use the word experience. Um, like that worship service has something uh, that you have to be a part of, like what you said, being a participant. Um, stories are important. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, tell stories. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can find us on Twitter at leftpad or Nyafia or on our website, openSource.com.